I'm Leslie Marshall. She's back as well, Wendy Patrick, career trial attorney and business ethics lecturer. She was recognized by her peers as one of the 2015 top 10 criminal attorneys in San Diego by the San Diego Daily Transcript. Also named the 2014 Public Lawyer of the Year by the California State Bar Public Law Section. Dr. Patrick has completed over 160 trials ranging from hate crimes to domestic violence to first-degree murder. Always love having her on the show. We always learn a lot. She's great at what she does and being a guest here. Wendy Patrick. Hey, Wendy, how you doing? I don't think we spoke this year yet, so a belated happy hey, new year. Hey, hopefully we'll speak many more times. Love your show. Oh, thank you, Wendy. We love having you as a part of it. Now, so that folks understand um, what is happening with Apple, because in layperson terms, my understanding and the chit-chat in the green room at Vox today was, where people were agreeing who don't normally agree, was that the San Bernardino terrorist, the husband and wife, had the shooters, they had iPhones, and they uh, smashed those phones, and the FBI, uh, the federal government, wants Apple to break into those phones, and Apple is refusing, and now there's a judge's order, and they're opposing uh, that as well. Apple maintains that they want to protect the privacy of all the iPhone users. Federal government says, we're not asking you to do anything except hack into these two phones. These people are dead. The list goes on and on. So, First of all, um, you know, fill in the gaps and, and correct me where, you know, I'm wrong in, in the chit-chat outside of the specific request by the federal government and Apple's response. Right. Well, we've got to get our news somewhere, and sometimes we get little tidbits of interesting information in the green room, don't we? So the phone at issue is actually not either of the smashed phones, but a phone belonging to the male shooter that actually belonged to his employer. It's password protected. It's in perfect shape. A judge has ruled that there's probable cause, but as you mentioned, Leslie, there's one problem. The FBI doesn't know the passcode. These phones, these new phones are protected, what I'll call the 10 strikes you're out rule. 10 consecutive unsuccessful unlock attempts will enable a self-destruct feature, which will erase the data. So the FBI cannot use their traditional methods of hacking into the phone. So what basically the judge said is they asked Apple to assist the FBI in gaining access to this phone. What we've heard very loudly argued in the court of public opinion over the last couple of days is Tim Cook saying not going to do it and given a bunch of, of very reasonable sounding reasons why. But what's interesting about where we are right now, Leslie, in the story is we are talking in the court of public opinion in very loud voices, but it's not, it's, we're not going to decide anything. It's got to go back into a court of law. So the judge gave, and by the way, she's a former federal prosecutor, no doubt sympathetic to the battle between digital security and national security that's being played out here. She gave Apple a five-day grace period to come back and let her know if the judge's order was unduly burdensome. Okay, Wendy, hold that thought. Hold that thought. We'll take a break and then we'll find out uh, more about what the judge said, Apple's response, and we'll talk about what this means going forward for consumers of Apple and also for the employer um, of this uh, this shooter, this uh, terrorist who is uh, now deceased. We'll be back with Wendy Patrick and you. Dr. Wendy Patrick joins us. You have questions about this case or you want to chime in, 888-6-LESLIE. Sign up for our free newsletter. Go to www.lesliemarshallshow.com. with Wendy Patrick, career trial attorney, business ethics lecturer. 
Dr. Patrick has completed over 160 trials, ranging from hate crimes to domestic violence to first-degree murder. Today, we're talking about Apple, the company Apple, opposing a judge's order to hack the San Bernardino shooter's iPhone. Wendy, thank you for holding welcome back. And you were talking about the judge and the ruling and what the judge was saying uh, that Apple uh, must do. And this is a judge in California. So this was an order that came down two days ago to help the FBI break into that phone of the shooter, Syed Farouk, uh, the San Bernardino shooter. But like you said, this was not his property. It was his employer's, which happens to be the county of San Bernardino, correct? That's right. And, Leslie, that's an interesting point as well, because there's an argument to be made, and you're making it very loudly on Twitter, is the likelihood of finding something on a government-issued phone is no doubt less than the likelihood of finding information that has evidentiary value on personal phones. You mentioned they smashed their personal phones beyond recognition. They removed the hard drive to their computer. Nonetheless, there's a who knows whether this, these guys forgot this phone was a it was in one of their cars, or whether there was nothing on it. The FBI just doesn't want to take any chances because they want to make sure if there were any other terrorist suspects that these two were communicating with that we find those people so we don't have another mass carnage like we had in San Bernardino. Uh, so, uh, no, I, I agree with you. Look, I, I am all in favor of privacy. I am against the Patriot Act. Let's talk about some of the gray area here so that people understand. Is the federal government asking Apple to give them a way or to develop something so they can break into everyone's phones, or is this specific to Syed Farouk's phone only? They're asking for access um, for Apple to develop software uh, that would allow access to this phone only. But here's the catch. Apple is explaining that they can't do that. If they created this software, and they've referred to it as in a number of different ways, one as a backdoor to the product, another as a master key that would open all iPhones, they can't develop in, in a way that can only be used with this phone. That's the problem, is they are arguing and they're pushing back, saying, hey, by creating it for just this one phone, we've now created software that can be used as a master key to get into anybody's phone. And that is not why people are buying the iPhone. We want to make sure we keep our customers safe from cyber hackers. Um, absolutely. Uh, but we also, you know, I mean, one of the things is, you, you know, some people might say well, he wasn't going to use his work phone because of the other phones I had mentioned that they did destroy. Um, right. That, you know, they had, you know, uh, obviously that would trace back to whoever their contact was here or abroad. So what does the federal government hope to obtain uh, from that phone? Because I have a feeling even if they, you know, get in uh, that they're not going to find much because these are not the phones that they seem to be worried about. This is not a phone he destroyed. Well, did he not destroy it, though, because there was nothing on it or because he was in a hurry and it got left in the car? Those are unanswered questions that the government feels are worth exploring. And remember, there's that missing 18 minutes that we've heard a lot about during the day of the shooting. And they wonder whether the data on this phone that they actually have, I mean, can you imagine, Leslie, you've got it, they have it sitting right there in front of them in good condition. It's in working order, and nobody has been able over the last couple of months to figure out how to get into it. 
they believe there's a, a possibility that there might be something on that phone that's going to be of evidentiary value. Now, my, whether or not it's ties to other terrorists, whatever it is, I mean, think of all the information we keep on our iPhones. Even if this was just a phone that he used in the, in the you know the realm of his employment, there still might be something in there that might use, be useful to track down his contacts, either here or abroad, or give some information that will help us to learn how this attack began, what was involved in the planning, who was involved, in order to use that information to prevent something similar from happening again. Um, I, 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 wa- I want to know here, what happens with this situation going forward? Apple has phones, but then we have social networking sites like Twitter and, and Facebook. Uh, is this a Pandora's box? That's what Apple is arguing, Leslie. Exactly. They're arguing that the that everybody take a step back and consider the long-ranging implications that Apple developing this kind of software would have. Would it just be confined to the iPhone? Could we then say, well, now we're going to use it on the MacBook Air? Are we now going to confine, are we going to use this ruling as precedent? You'll notice that's one of the, the terms that Tim Cook said in that open customer letter that he published. This kind of precedent setting has such far-ranging implications. Now, you know, Google... Um, stepped up today and is, you know, backing Tim Cook. Yesterday, everybody was sort of watching and waiting, right, all the other big tech companies to see what happens. They were kind of sitting on the sidelines. But if it implicates Apple, it implicates all major companies that might then also, by virtue of this precedent, be forced to create this kind of software to get into systems that were up till now impenetrable. But remember, the public, many members of the public are saying, have at it, because in an age of security and terrorism, as you know, we're sort of balancing those two interests, there are many customers that are willing to compromise some level of privacy in order to generate better public security. This is not an area like we have seen with, you know, Edward Snowden or with Julian Assange where it comes down to left and right, is it? Because, I mean, Apple is, and in the head of Apple, are pretty left-leaning uh, liberals who you would say would um, you know, definitely want to protect uh, privacy, but there are conservatives agreeing with Apple, and then there are liberals saying, "Give them the bloody phone, <laughs> help them so to get true. into the phone, help them to get into that password." Right, we heard Donald Trump saying that just a bit ago. Right, um, it, it's true. This is something that doesn't necessarily break down along party lines. That's for sure. And when you look at Tim Cook's letter, I mean, he talked about the San Bernardino case, said that they were shocked and outraged to use his words by the deadly act of terrorism in San Bernardino. He said all the appropriate things, and he said that he, you know, been cooperating with the FBI and any way he could. I mean, Apple has been there trying to assist the FBI in every way they could. But then the letter starts out by really cutting right to the quick of his objection is the U.S. government, as this is his words, has demanded that Apple take an unprecedented step which threatens the security of our customers. In other words, he's putting the customers first. Now, you got to imagine many customers are happy to hear that, but he also has to realize that, you know, the Apple iPhone shouldn't become known as the criminal's choice of communication device, right, choosing something that even the government has proven they can't get into. So it's that battling of those interests, digital security against national security. Which way I, you know, each of us comes down on that, you know, depends on so many different things. But in the wake of such a recent, and I say recent, it was December 2nd, it seems like it was yesterday, we all remember it so vividly, there are many of Apple customers saying maybe Apple should give the, the, you know, the U.S. government access in order to protect us. Our lives are more important than our iPhones. 
Um, one have is there anything like you know in preparation to talk about this and then you know as an attorney yourself looking at this case that um, you, you you find quite different than anything else that we've ever seen you know historically uh, at, at least where you know you have studied and practiced law. Yes, the lack of precedent. This is a case uh, in many in many rights is a case of first impression. We knew this was coming down the pike because it's been months now, ever since the shooting, that we've known that the FBI couldn't get into that iPhone, and Apple had an impenetrable device that wouldn't allow people in. So it's come to a head just the day before yesterday, but we all knew that this was going to be a case that was going to be so highly watched simply because there isn't that judicial precedent on both sides that is going to be able to guide the judge's decision. And I'll tell you, the U.S. magistrate judge that made the ruling here, she has a tough job ahead of her. I mean, she's got to make the call, and she's going to have to make it again, obviously, once we're back in court here. Very difficult call without a lot of relevant precedent to lean on, because this is something that we really haven't seen before. And, Leslie, this kind of case, you and I are going to be talking more about it in the future, because this we're just at the tip of the iceberg. We live in a day and age where technology has so outpaced the law in so many different areas that you can imagine we're going to see more cases like this that are pitting the same interest, digital security versus national security. When somebody has a passcode, because I'm really not a computer person, Wendy, isn't it? It is possible, I would imagine. <laughs> I find Apple, that hard to believe. <laughs> for, no, I am, uh, not with technology. Uh, for for Apple, um, I mean, they, they can invent, I would imagine they must have a way I mean, they must have a way. What if, hypothetically, somebody built a bomb into uh, or built a detonation device or can use their cell phone as a detonation device and the federal government comes to Apple and says, we need to break into the passcode, otherwise 3,000 people are going to die in 47 minutes. Right, they have to find another way of destroying the device, just like the terrorists destroyed those two personal phones. But you can imagine many variations on that theme that can be argued. Let's say it was something that couldn't be destroyed or was difficult to destroy or time was of the essence. There's got to be a way to get in. And those are, those are some of the tangential arguments that are highly relevant because you can see exactly that kind of thing happening. I mean, remember the notebook that supposedly brought down a, uh, caused an explosion on a plane recently. Yep, there's, yep. there's lots of ways. Of, of transporting explosives or devices such as you mentioned in the hypothetical that aren't going to be hypothetical in the near future. So that's another reason that there's such a push to, to make technology not impenetrable. And prior to, ni- to 2014, it wasn't. Remember, the iPhone did have a feature that allowed law enforcement to hook into it and get the information they needed if they had a search warrant. So it's not like there hasn't been a way to do this before. Apple is just saying there isn't a way to do it now, because now that they've updated their software to create a product that nobody can hack into, we're in this boat where they're not going to be able to say, okay, here's the way to do it. They're being asked to create something new, so nobody does, as you say, construct some kind of a bomb. There's no way, short of figuring out a way to destroy it right away, to hack in and, and stop that progression. It's a very, very good question. One I, I will probably may be grappling with in one of these other cases coming down the pike. Uh, I, I, I also want to share some tweets. Uh, Le Duisian, I hope I'm saying that uh, right, uh, tweeted when we asked, should Apple help the FBI unlock the iPhones of the San Bernardino shooters? Is this government overreach as Apple claims? 
And uh, th- this, uh, you know, Twitter follower uh, tweeted, if Apple unveils their status codes can break into iPhone, but also any citizen holding an iPhone, is it reasonable? So he asked a question uh, with a question. And, 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 and basically that's what it comes down to, right? I mean, which is if, the, if we do this once for the FBI in, in plain view of the public, what would Apple possibly do behind closed doors with the FBI if a person's f- using their phone and is not yet dead, is this going to be uh, all Muslims or, um, you know, all uh, people with foreign last names? And I, I mean, it becomes beyond a slippery slope. And that's the argument that many people are making is it's, it's the same kind of argument we see every time there is a push to allow the government greater access to our personal information. And one of the best analogies that I can come up with thinking this through is it would be like, Leslie, maybe you leave a key under your mat for an emergency. Maybe your neighbor has to go in and water your plants or your pets or whatever it is while you're gone. Apple is basically arguing, no, it's not like that. It's like not creating one key to one house that can be used once. It would be a master key that could open everybody's houses. So your the, Twitter, the tweet you just read is basically raising that concern. It, there are lots of people that agree with Apple's position that we can't create something that would be that could potentially be used in so many different unintended ways. And here's one more deviation on that argument. We are talking in this case about benevolent use, right? We're going to go into the phone. We're going to find information to try to help solve this case. How did this come about? Who are they communicating with? But there's also malevolent use. In other words, cyber hackers would be using this master key for their own purposes. And who knows what might happen then? That And that's Apple's argument in their open customer letter is the danger of subjecting its customers' phones to this kind of technology by hackers is immense. And we should think this through carefully before we proceed. Is there a middle ground? Is there a compromise position? That would be great. And that might be something we see discussed in the next court hearing, because I think we're really just at the beginning of this court battle. Um, I, I, what is something else that you want listeners to be aware of of this case that they're not necessarily going to, you know, read in the papers or see in, you know, a couple of minutes of a story on the news? Well, I got to tell you, having, you know, the, the career that I've had trying to keep the public safe in so many different ways, I'm, I'm glad that we're talking about cybersecurity because you and I have both seen young men, young women doing and saying and posting all kinds of things over the Internet, not having any idea, you know, how, how easy these things are transmitted. And every time we talk about privacy and cyber privacy, I mean, there are lots of young people that take no steps to secure their data, because the whole point of being active on a social media site is just that, so to have the whole world see your tweets and posts. I mean, YouTube, right? Broadcast yourself. So it's probably a good thing that we keep talking about privacy and about security and about steps to keeping ourselves safe from cyber hackers and protecting our data. And I feel like we can't talk about that enough in order to really enable ourselves to take the steps we need to take to keep ourselves safe and to really protect our loved ones, sometimes from themselves when they aren't taking any privacy protections in their own iPhones and in their own way that they're sharing digital data. Uh, uh, one last thing, uh, Wendy, we have less than a minute, so get, get it out there, just whatever you want to share. 
<laughs> well, just that it's, you're, it's never too late to learn. I know there's lots of people, you know, in their 50s and 60s saying I'm too, too you know, I'm not going to learn about this. It's the younger generation. It's not. It's everybody's problem, and everybody has to learn how to protect themselves before it's too late. You're never too old to dive into this and get some help if you need, right? Ask your grandkids to help you. Ask your kids to help you. Whatever you need to do to learn about what we're talking about so you can protect yourselves, your data, and your loved ones. Thank you, Wendy. We appreciate it. Um, Our guest, she's been on the show before. She'll be on the show again is Dr. Wendy Patrick, a career trial attorney and business ethics lecturer. On Twitter, follow her at Wendy Patrick, Ph.D., W-E-N-D-Y-P-A-T-R-I-C-K-P-H-D. The website is wendypatrickphd.com. We'll be back. Talk Media News joining us live from our nation's capital after this and two more great hours straight ahead. You want to join us, 888-6LESLIE, 888-653-7543 is the number. Leslie Marshall, when the truth matters. Give her a call now at 888-6-LESLIE.